Welcome, friends. I'm Sarah Ann Stewart, and this is the Awesome Inside Out Podcast. Now, I'm not sure how you ended up here today, but I want to welcome you with open arms. Because while our paths may be different, I'm going to take a wild guess that we share one common desire to have a deeply fulfilling, extraordinary life in a body that we love. A life free of diets, free from guilt, and free from shame. In each episode, we're going to dive deep into mindset shifts that give you the power to decide how you feel, not the media, not your past, and not social conditioning. Then you'll discover how to use this inspiration and this new sense of confidence to be the best you, the you that you are meant to be. So get ready, my friend. It is time to get awesome inside out. Hey there, thanks so much for tuning in to another interview episode on the Awesome Inside Out podcast. I cannot thank you enough for joining me today and being here ready to upgrade your health, your well-being, and your life. And if you enjoy this conversation, the absolute best way that you always can support is by leaving a five-star review, subscribing, or sharing on social media or with the people that you love most. It would mean the world to me for others to have access to this powerful content. So thank you so much in advance. Also, make sure to stay till the end as I'm going to offer you some applicable takeaways and actionable steps based on our conversation today to implement this week to upgrade your health and your life. All right, so beyond the fictional reality of highlight reels on social media lies the truth that many of us forget while we are scrolling. The truth that life isn't always rainbows, butterflies, flawless skin, and perfect relationships. The truth that life can be messy, confusing, and hard. But as a society, We've become programmed to only put our best face forward, specifically online. And then, unfortunately, we forget that everyone else is also doing this. And so when we look at others' lives, we often feel that we come up short. This week, I'm sitting down with nurse and blogger Meredith Boggs to chat about how this impulse to share only our highlight reels actually hinders our ability to cultivate deep self-love, self-acceptance, self-worth and the love for our unique lives. Meredith is the writer and speaker of The Other Half blog and podcast. She's known for her transparency and for sharing her real life that wouldn't make the highlight reel as she addresses a multitude of topics ranging from body image issues to pregnancy and personal and spiritual growth. She's also a registered nurse with a deep interest in nutrition and finding body confidence. In this episode, I'm asking Meredith to share her perspective on constructive ways to engage with social media while changing your relationship with social media so that you can drop the comparison and cultivate your own personal truths. And so if you have struggled with self-esteem issues or the constant comparison cycle that happens on social media, I trust that you are going to get so much value from this powerful conversation that I'm going to have with Meredith today. Hi, Meredith. Welcome to the Awesome Inside Out podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation, most specifically because I've been hearing from so many individuals, whether they're clients, friends, family members, even people within my workspace and my team members who are noticing this correlation between being on their phones and their devices, specifically during this pandemic, and mm-hmm. a significant decrease in health and happiness. And I know that you're very public about this topic and you talk openly about this, and that for most of us, like our real lives don't make the highlight reel. And this is something that keeps showing up over and over again, specifically in the conversations that I've been having. And so I'm excited to dive 
deeper on this specific topic that you're an expert in. But I want to first dive into your story around eating disorders and your eating disorder growing up and in high school and then your relapse in college. Because I know that there's a lot of women who are on social media and are in that comparison game, which can trigger a whole array of different experiences in terms of their relationship with food and their body. So I kind of wanted to start there, if that's okay. So yeah, just a little backstory. I grew up in a great home that had a mom and a dad that were just, I mean, they were just awesome all the way around. Like the whole like food and dieting culture was just, was not a thing. It was very much like you ate food to nourish your body. We grew up eating very healthy. My mom was never, I have no memories of my mom ever being on a diet. She's very tall, very lean, and I was blessed with her genes, but that was just not a part of my growing up life. But then, you know, I think it's kind of normal. You hit middle school, high school years and your body's changing and there's a lot of attention and focus put on that. And so it was in middle school that I kind of fell into that place of, body image and being really aware of my body that was changing and you know how I was gaining weight or wasn't gaining weight in certain areas compared to my peers. And so I would say probably late middle school, early high school, I'd slipped into a place. And you know, I think with anything like that, it starts out really seemingly benign. And it's just, oh, I'm going to restrict a little bit here and there, or this food is now in the off-limits category, or it's like, I need to eat the sugar-free, the fat-free things. And so it started out that way. And then by my freshman, sophomore year of high school, it had developed into a full-blown eating disorder. And I think I remember, I have a really distinct memory of sitting in doctor's office one day, having gone in for a physical and Because at that point, my parents had picked up on the fact that I was losing weight rapidly and something was not right. And so they had taken me to see a physician. I had also seen a nutritionist and a counselor. And she came into the room and said, you've just had the cutoff for being anorexic. And I just remember feeling so shocked by those words and like just this, like my heart racing, like what in the world? Like, that's crazy. What are you talking about? No, it was just like a little bit of restricting here and there. And that's the day for me that it was kind of a wake up call. It was like, oh, this is not some small little thing anymore where you're just putting this in the off limits category and not eating that. This is actually something much bigger and it's no longer in your control. And I think that's one of the biggest deceiving factors with eating disorders anyways, is that it's a control issue. You think that you're the one that's controlling what you eat, you're controlling how much weight you do or don't gain. And then you kind of wake up to that realization one day that you're actually really out of control and you have no, this thing has control over you. And so I spent the next couple of years doing all the things going to nutritionists, going to counselors. It was kind of, it's the very typical recovery of kind of two steps forward, one step back kind of thing that you make some progress and then there's a little bit of a slide. And that was kind of the first time that I was like, oh, there's a whole world of mindset work that I had no idea was even a factor in this. I think in my teenage mind, I just thought it was, I thought it was about food. And so learning that it was about control and it was this whole mindset issue was like, opened a whole new world to me. And it, and that was also, I was in high school in the time that Facebook came along, but you had to be in one of the elite colleges to be on it. And so I did not grow up in like, Instagram came along when I was in college. And so I didn't grow up during that time with this saturation of social media like we have today. And I think I look back at that time and just think I'm so grateful for that. And, you know, now looking back, it's like, I cannot imagine people that are girls that are in the same place these days with 
the role that social media has played in our lives now and the influence and the factor that that is. But anyway, so spent the next few years of high school in recovery for that and doing a lot of mindset work around body image and what healthy actually is and relearning to eat a lot of foods that I had deemed off limits or that I had deemed scary or bad or whatever it was and really got to a healthy place, was really able to look back on that journey and be really thankful for where I had come and really proud of the progress I had made and and kind of knew those last couple years of high school that it was a time to really dig in and do some work before going off to college. I'd seen friends go off to college and had an older sister go off to college and you know, everyone talks about the freshman 15, which is just probably the worst thing for anyone who struggles with weight or body image or eating disorders. And so part of it for me was like, I got to get this reined in if I have any hope of going to college and having somewhat of a normal life that's not controlled and defined by this eating disorder. So I feel like the last couple of years of high school were just really spent doing, doing the hard work that it takes when you're in recovery and just kind of recreating your life and revamping every all those pathways in your mind that have just gone completely AWOL that are off in the ditch somewhere and reining those in and went off to college. And I think I just kind of held my breath for the first year thinking the freshman 15 is going to hit me and how am I going to handle it? I've got all these tools. I've done all this work, but also really fearful that I was going to relapse. And, and you know, that was one of the things that I heard over and over again throughout recovery from my doctor, from my nutritionist was like, you know, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when you relapse. This is a normal part of recovery. It happens. It's going to happen to you. And I'm a little stubborn by nature. And I was like, no, it's not. Like, screw that. I'm not going to relapse just because, you know, that happens to everyone. That doesn't have to be the way that it is. And so I kind of had this stubborn mindset of like, no, that doesn't have to be me. I don't, I don't want that. I really have cultivated this freedom in my life that I love. You know, I remember how dark it is and how confining it is and constricting. And I don't want that life anymore. And so, no, I'm not. I'm not going to relapse. And so made it through my freshman year. Freshman 15 never came, made it through without any kind of relapse. And then when junior year hit, I started nursing school. There's a whole new level of academic stress and pressure and just a lot of other things going on in my life during the time that looking back, it's like, well, of course, that was the perfect breeding ground for a relapse to happen. And it happened just like clockwork. And that time, so in high school, I really was on the very restrictive anorexic side of the spectrum. And then in college, I kind of swung to the other side. So it was sort of, it was still restrictive in nature, but it was also more of like the bulimic sort of purging side of the pendulum. And I just remember one night being in my dorm room by myself and just being so angry with myself and so just frustrated that it's like, how could you let this happen? How could you go back here? And just filled with a lot of shame that I knew all the things to do. I had all the tools and somehow I had found myself back there again. And not only that, but it's just a miserable place to live. It's dark and it's lonely. It's just filled with a lot of shame, but it's also so incredibly binding. And so I think recovery that time looked really different. I stayed in it by myself for a long time, didn't tell anyone, didn't reach out to any of my friends, didn't reach out to mentors, didn't reach out to my parents, to my old counselor, all these people that were 
you know, within arm's distance that I very easily could have reached out to for help, but instead just kind of stayed under the weight of shame from it, just stayed in the darkness and in the bondage of it for way too long. And finally, after that, I was in such a miserable place. I was like, I can't keep living like this. And I think once you've tasted life on the other side, you've tasted that life of freedom where you're not where your mind is not consumed about what you did or didn't eat or about what you're going to eat next and about how much you weigh, what your body looks like. When you've tasted life outside of that and then you go back to it, it's almost even more miserable. And you're just like, how did I let myself get here and how do I get out? And so the summer following that and then into my senior year of college were kind of going back to square one of reaching out and saying, Hey, I fell back into this. I'm struggling again. I need some help and walking that road of recovery again. And that's kind of the general gist of it. And since that time, that was the second time around. That was when I was 21. I just turned 30. And, you know, it's one of those things that I think even in high school, I was told by everyone, doctors, nutritionists, therapists, this doesn't go away. It'll always be there. And I think yes and no, it'll always be there in some sense because we live, and I think social media is a huge part of that. We live a social media world that we are bombarded with images that do not contribute to body acceptance. We just, we live in a world that, you know, unless you're the perfect size and the perfect, you know, you've got the muscle tone and this and that, whatever, like, you know, it's not enough or it's not okay. And so in that sense, yeah, I mean, that's the world that we live in. And so that's not, unfortunately, I think there have been huge strides made in that, but the core of that is still there. And so that's not changing and that's not going away. But I think they're wrong in the sense that you can absolutely live a full and abundant, a life of freedom that you really just you wake up every day and you live your life and it lives in the back of your mind somewhere, but it's not, it's just a non-issue and it's just not a thing. And and I think for the people that have really done the work and cultivated that freedom in their own life, they, they can attest to that to say, yeah, in some sense, it's always going to be there. It's not a lifestyle. It's not how you live. It's not, you don't wake up every day thinking about it. And it's not a constant struggle and a constant battle every day. So anyways, that's kind of a, Fly over. Yeah, no, I'm in agreement. I, as going through this very similar story to you, I found myself almost manifesting what these doctors had predicted because they're almost giving you that permission to say, oh, well, you're absolutely going to relapse someday. And yes, that's true for some women, but I also think we can empower women and say, whether you're going through disordered eating, whether you are going through yo yo dieting, or whether you're in the trenches of a serious eating disorder doesn't mean that it has to be your life forever. And I yeah. can say with full transparency, I it's been over 10 years since mm-hmm. I have been in the trenches of it. And I don't mm-hmm. ever see myself going back to that. And that doesn't mean yeah. that I don't have specific thoughts when I go on, on social media. That doesn't mean that when I watch a movie or walk past a magazine or see a billboard, I don't have the triggering thoughts that I had while I was growing up. But that today is looks very different in how I respond to those thoughts. And that's what yes. I want to empower women to think about is it's really the response to the thought. It's the response to the emotion. It's the response to social media that we get to, if we choose, take control over. And that doesn't mean yeah. that there's a lot of work in that process. There's absolutely a lot of work. And that doesn't mean that if you do relapse or something does show up again, that you don't hold this love and compassion for yourself. But I do want to mm-hmm. empower women to think about this from the level of self-love, self-worth, self-confidence, self-esteem that's within all of us. It's just that it's been diluted and often it's diluted by social media. 
So I'm curious for you what your routine looks like if those thoughts do come up and what those tools that you're talking about, the toolkit, because I have mine where I sometimes have those moments where I feel like, okay, well, this could go down that road. And so mm-hmm. pull out the toolkit. <laughs> toolkit so like yeah. everything I need to to go back in and say, okay, well today you're gonna today you're gonna give yourself a little more self-care and you're gonna do some meditation and mindfulness. And so I'm curious what yes. the practices are for you. I kind of have my little routine and I think you find yourself in some seasons where you're doing really well and it's like, oh, I'm kind of in a good rhythm. And then you fall into other seasons where it's like, this is popping up a lot again. And kind of like you said, it's like those triggering thoughts, triggering images. And, you know, it's one of those things that it's like, I will never go back to that. But, you know, nonetheless, it requires you to to put in the work. And I'm in one of those seasons where it's just kind of been a non thing for a while. And I am 13 weeks pregnant with our first. And so pregnancy is bringing on a whole new world of, you know, of things with my body that's constantly changing and it's changing in a way that I have no other frame of reference for and seeing other people's pictures of their perfect little bumps. And, and so anyway, so it's been something that it is very much a daily thing for me of reaching back into that toolkit and going, okay, these practices that have really served me well in, you know, in my recovery journey, employing them every day. And so I think part of what that looks like, it's not something crazy. It's very simple, very really simple things. For me, the first 20 minutes, it's like the 20 minutes before I go to bed at night. And for at least the first 20 minutes in the morning when I wake up, I don't even touch my phone, which sounds pretty simple and pretty easy. But it's one of those things that it's like a lot of us use our phones as our alarm in the morning. And so you can so easily turn your alarm off and then click to something, whether it's your, you know, text messages or your inbox or, you know, Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is. It's so reflexive that we've trained ourselves to do that. And then all of a sudden you are stuck in the scroll. And I've just found that starting my mornings with my phone still on the charger next to my bed and going upstairs, making coffee, you know, having quiet time, journaling, that really shapes my day in a very different way than when I wake up. I started, you know, even if it's not on social media, if it's responding to emails and the same thing with going to bed at night that, you know, put the phone, start charging it and then just don't touch it. Don't fall asleep. I know so many of us are guilty of falling asleep while we're scrolling or, you know, laying in bed and losing an hour of time that we could be sleeping, scrolling. So for me, that's something that it's simple, but it's also so much a part of our habit and our routine that if we don't, if we're not cognizant of it, we just find ourselves slipping into it. And that, you know, just even that, that 20 minutes in the morning and in the evening before going to bed, it it just really reshapes things tremendously. Another thing too, that I, it's one of those things that you kind of have to train yourself because again, it's easy to fall into this mindless scroll where you're bombarded with these images that maybe you're aware of how triggering they are. Maybe, you know, maybe you're not, but I, you know, have just cultivated this practice that as soon as I find myself falling into the mindlessness and seeing images, they're not contributing to my mental health, to just to edifying and constructive thoughts and mindset. And even what's going on in my heart, just literally putting my phone down and walking away, changing the scenery just so simply stopping that scroll. And, you know, sometimes it's, I'll put it down, go do a load of laundry, go do the dishes that are in the sink, go do something else entirely. I'll take my dog for a walk down the street, but something that's so, that's such a physical shift that it also gives your mind time to stop and really think, 
oh, wow, where was I going? What was happening? What was I feeling? What kind of thoughts were popping up into my head? And where was that derailing me and sending me? Those are just kind of two examples that I can think of off the top of my head that I've employed a lot in this season. And I think each season is a little bit different and you find different things that work. But those are two of the big ones that I found myself reaching back for in this season. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting, similar to what happened with me where all of a sudden I found myself in a hospital bed and didn't know how mm-hmm. I get, you know, how I got there. I think, mm-hmm. and although that's a very extreme example, I think with social media, what happens is there's a subtle subconscious imprint that happens when we go on and we find ourselves getting emotionally attached to images and yeah. we go into the comparison and the jealousy. And then through that subconscious imprint, it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And then we wonder how we've gotten to a place where we're so unhappy or how we've gotten to a place where we're so miserable or unfulfilled in our own life. And we don't realize that it doesn't happen overnight. It's happening with these little imprints every time we turn on our phone and we see things that are just like you said, the other half, like we're not seeing the whole story. And so Mm -hmm. let's dive a little bit into this where we're really only seeing the highlight reel of most people's lives. Because I think on both accounts, I think there's the responsibility that we need to take on personally to say, wow, I need to become aware when I get emotionally triggered by images Mm -hmm. and I need to either prevent myself from seeing those or I need to manage those emotions and really recognize what's showing up. And then on the other side, I think there's this responsibility of what we're putting out there into the world. Because if we want Mm -hmm. to create a different social media experience, then we can't be showing only our highlight reel as well. And so dive a little bit into this in terms of responsibility. And then also that we are only seeing half of what people probably want to post. I would guess that it's probably even less than that. I would say it's like a very small percentage. Yeah. My friend in Q made a really good point in one of his poems. He said, I look at my Instagram and wish I had my own life. And I was so yeah. happy because I'm like, I love that. So many people. It's, I mean, it really is. And it's one of those things that I think even with ourselves, if we're not mindful of it, it's like we're curating a life for the world to see that it's like, that's not even my real life that I'm putting out there. And, you know, it's funny too. I think, you know, America as a whole, we're just such a consumeristic society and we're trained to consume. And I think, like you said, I think there's a very small percentage of people that are out there that are truly putting out the other half of, you know, of life and of whatever it is. And because our society does not want to consume that. But I think there's a part in all of us has gotten really tired of social media that we've realized that there's a real inauthenticity to a lot of it. And we might even feel that within ourselves that it's like, oh, what I'm putting out on my feed and what I'm putting out for the world to see is really only half of my life. And I think kind of like you were talking about initially, especially during the midst of a global pandemic, it's contributed to so much loneliness and disconnection, just feeling really isolated. And I think the pandemic has absolutely heightened that. But I do think that that was already somewhat there by the choices that we make of the content that we put out there and the choices that we make by what we choose to consume. And, you know, I for a long time have told people, I'm not one of these like, oh, let's everyone get rid of like, get off Instagram, don't have a Facebook profile, like, social media detox, don't be a part of it. I'm not one of those like really extreme people because I think social media, it's part of our lives and part of our world. And especially if you have any sort of, if your line of work, your business has any sort of, 
I mean, most things are online these days. You've got to have, you've got to be on social media. And so it's not how do we eliminate this from our lives and our work. And, you know, it's not how do we eliminate this, but how do we cognizantly consume it? And how do we make sure that we are not contributing to this, just this really inauthentic, just curated sort of life that, you know, we can so easily fall prey to consuming and that we're putting out there for other people to consume as well. I think it's part of life. And so a lot of it is how do we figure out how to contribute in a way like that doesn't, because I think part of it too, is this inauthenticity begets more inauthenticity in the same way that I think that, you know, if someone just shows up and says, actually, this is the other half of life that breeds that and that opens that space for other people. And I think that anyone that has any kind of platform or influence that calls himself a creative that creates anything and puts it out there in the world has a huge responsibility to not contribute to that. Because I don't think you'd find any person that I think everyone has fallen prey to feeling like, you know, they don't measure up or like their life isn't as glamorous or, or as lovely as this person's that they see on social media. And so it's like, how do we own that responsibility and create in a world that really holds space for the other half and for the truth and for what's authentic and real and not just so highly curated. I think it's important to start thinking about and also managing your own internal experience with social media. And so some people people will be prone to post when they're going through the struggle or when they're going through through the pain. And for me specifically, I'm more of a person where I know if I'm going through something really hard, I don't feel comfortable sharing with everyone on social media at that point. Mm -hmm. But I feel comfortable after I've healed, after I've moved through it, after I have found the solution, then I'm in a place where I feel empowered to share. And and then if if people comment or make their opinions, then I'm not so influenced by those because I've already moved through the struggle. And so it's also about figuring out what works for you. And for me, I've had to get really clear. I had to get an app that just showed me how much I was on social media. And I kept mm-hmm. telling myself, wow, if I invested this much time into listening to audiobooks and taking courses, and it wasn't a ton, it was maybe like 45 minutes a day, but I'm like, how does that add up over yeah. my lifetime, my experience on this planet? And what could I create? And what could I do if I was to remove myself a bit from this. And so it's about, in my opinion, coming up with creative ways to really think about social media from a different angle where, yes, I can check in with my my friends and my family. Yes, I could go on and get Mm -hmm. inspired, but am I controlling what it is that's showing up? And so I'm curious how you help people navigate that and some recommendations in terms of how, yeah, how you're supporting people in terms of controlling what what they see controlling what their responses are to social media. Because the other thing that's so challenging is you're really... So the algorithm is curating your world for oh, you yeah. social media. So you're not yes. seeing the other half of any story that you really don't want to see because as you search for things, it's picking up all of those cues and then it's putting it into an algorithm and then it's populating what they think you're going to like. And unfortunately... If some of that's driven by insecurity and lack of self-worth, those posts are still going to show up. And so yeah, I'm curious for you how you help people navigate that. Yeah, I think I love a couple, you know, you've referenced it a couple of times and it's a lot of what your work's about, but I think there's the really practical, like, what do you actually do? But then there's the whole emotional side of things of how am I, what am I feeding myself, checking in with what's going on in your head and your heart? And really finding a way to kind of manage is not the word that 
pregnancy brain these days. I can never actually say what I want to say, but how do I kind of like manage those emotions that are coming up and how do I really tune in with that side of what's going on inside of me? And so I think it's twofold. I think some of the ways that I help people do that, I've actually got, it's a short little six steps to help you stop the scroll that I can send you the link for, and you can link to in the show notes for your listeners, but it's half of it's really practical. Um, and it's kind of what I talked about, that it's like when you Part of it's training yourself to be cognizant of when you slip into that. What, like, when are the times that you're most likely to flip open your apps and training yourself to start recognizing it? And then when you do, stopping that scroll. So physically putting your phone down, changing scenery, going on a walk, going to do something else so that you physically get out of that place. This is a practice that I found really helpful in certain seasons. You know, if we're, and this is very much something that I had to employ during, you know, during March and April when everything was shut down, but it was so easy at night for my husband and I to be at home together and just on our phones and sit on the couch watching something on TV, but totally disconnected from each other because we're on our phones. And so, you know, part of one of the practices that I will employ in seasons like that is when he gets home at night, when we're both at home and it's our time that works done for the day and we're just hanging out, I will put my phone on the charger. And so for people that lived back in the days when you didn't have a cell phone and when you didn't have a cordless phone that you could just walk around your house talking to, if you wanted to talk on the phone, you had to walk over the wall and talk on it and then you had to hang it up when you were done with it and it stayed there because it was connected to the wall. And so that's part of it too, is that I think about my phone in that sense. I'm like, oh, my phone is connected to my charger. And if I need it for some reason, I have to get up and I have to go in there and I have to send a text message or make a phone call or whatever. And then I have to leave my phone there. And it's kind of silly, but it's one of those things that, especially in that season where we were home every night and there was nothing, there's nothing going on. It was so easy to fall into this place of scrolling and losing hours of your life and feeling so disconnected from each other and just simply taking the phone out of the room and out of the equation led to so much more conversation. It led to us laughing together, talking about our days more than we probably would have. And so those are a few just practical and simple tools that that they're really simple, but they can be hard to implement because they're just not a part of our lives. And so I think there's that one side that's the very practical of like, what's the ABC one, two, three steps of what do I do? And then there's the other side of the equation, which is much more challenging. And it's the emotional side of things, like what you've referenced several times. And it's challenging those thoughts and beliefs that are popping up as you're scrolling. Are you believing that you're not good enough, that you're not smart enough, successful enough, skinny enough? What is it? What's falling you or what's causing you to fall into this place of comparison? Because I think comparison, it only ends just as it's so ugly and it leads us into despair of feeling like we don't measure up and like we're not good enough, or it leads us to pride in looking at other people's lives and comparing what we have to what they have. And either way, pride and despair are so, they're just terrible and ugly places to be. And so challenging those beliefs that come up and that have become really ingrained in our minds and our hearts. And then I think a lot of it too is the work of redirecting. So how do you redirect these thoughts and these feelings as they come up? Because just because we feel something so viscerally may not mean that it's actually true. Just because we feel like our life isn't as glamorous or as lovely as someone else's may not be true because they might be projecting something really, you know, lovely and curated, but their life might actually be a living hell. And, you know, I think there's still part of it that it's like, 
you know, if you don't know someone in real life and if you're not on a, if you don't have a deeper level of connection, it's really none of your business, but also understanding from a place of feeling, you know, it's like, oh, these people feel like they've been invested and maybe they have financially invested in some of their, you know, conferences or books or whatever it is. But kind of going back to this whole idea of, you know, just because you feel something doesn't mean that it's true. Just because you think something doesn't mean that it's actually true. So how do you redirect these thoughts and these feelings that may be unfounded and may be unhealthy? How do you redirect them back to what's true? How do you ground yourself in what's true? And maybe that truth is that you have a really beautiful and lovely life. You've got a husband that loves you. You've got darling children. You've got work that you love to do. You know, maybe the truth is that you have cultivated that work and that deep, that foundational assurance that you are enough in who you are. I think it's a lot of times it's shifting back and it's redirecting. Part of the less tangible side of it too comes with just observing. You know, it's asking yourself, how much time of what are you losing with what are you losing in social media? How much time are you losing? Kind of like you were talking about downloading an app to figure out how much time a day are you actually spending? Because 45 minutes here and 45 minutes there adds up. And how many audiobooks could you be listening to? Or how many, you know, what kind of courses could you be completing to learn something that you've always wanted to learn? So what are you losing? How much time? What kind of thoughts are you allowing to occupy space in your mind? What kind of emotions are you letting take root in your heart? And what are they taking from you? Are you constantly feeling a low-grade anxiety? You know, is scrolling contributing to anxiety or depression that you already struggle with? Is it draining you of your gratitude? I think gratitude is so, it's so simple and so easy to cultivate and it's so easy to lose so quickly. And so I think just observing what are you losing and then is it worth it? Is it worth the emotional turmoil? Is it worth the anxiety, the depression, the time that you're losing? So I think those are kind of the ones that those are so much less tangible and they're a lot harder, but it's the other side of the equation. You can implement all the right practices of, you know, not falling asleep while you're scrolling or, you know, only being on social media for 30 minutes a day. But if you don't lean into the other side and do the heart work and the emotional work that's there, I think it's half-hearted and it's only one-sided. Yeah. And I love a few things that you referenced. I think it's really important for people to really go within and become self-aware of their relationship to social media and how they potentially could be using it in their favor to look at positive quotes and to get really great content. Or on the flip side, how they could be using it as even that wall of avoidance. And so like you said with your husband, it's like, if you and your husband are sitting at home or your partner or your spouse, whoever you're with, or even your family members, and you're scrolling through social media and you're not really being present, is there something deeper there that needs to be addressed? And that's been my biggest question for my clients who are in these relationships and they're not really happy. And so for you, you were empowered to put your phone away and say, okay, I want to have this present time. I want to really have this experience with my husband. But if you're using your social media as an avoidant to have the harder conversations, to make the change in the career, to make the change in your relationship, to avoid what's really showing up for you emotionally, that's, I think, one of the first places to become self-aware of. And then I think the second piece, which you addressed a bit is, how are you allowing yourself to experience different emotions based on other people's life? And so why are you choosing to let someone get you angry because of the way that they... (laughs) 
are living. And most often that anger already exists within you, but you're using often social media as the excuse to be angry. So how do we feel the anger so that we're not in a place where we go on social media and we're upset over a celebrity or upset over that we thought was like, that we personally put on a pedestal and now they are human and they're they made a mistake or they did something that we don't approve of. Yeah. We're choosing, right, to have that emotional experience. And so I think for me, those are the two pieces that I've had to get really aware of is that I have control over my internal experience, meaning yes. that if I'm having this emotional response to something, it's my responsibility to go in and shift and manage that emotion. I love those two parts. And then the third part I want to also reference, which, which you kind of went over, is the boundary piece, which is that you can put your phone on a charger and get back to people later. Like, yes. You do not need to hear from you in 10, 20, 30 seconds. And those are the boundaries that you have to set up because I think it's like as people in the beginning, if they don't hear back from you right away, will become triggered because they want that response. Yes. You live in that type of world. But you set the boundary to say, I don't check my phone at night. Like if you need me, yeah. if there's an emergency, call me. I'll have my ringer on. Or you can set the boundaries for whatever you want. But I think people are in this needing these emotional responses back and forth so quickly that that it's almost like triggering. And so I tell people, I only check my Instagram DMs once a day. So if you don't hear mm-hmm. back from me, I'm so sorry. I only like there's things I've set up in my structure and in my systems where I'm not checking it all day long. Cause then like you said, when you look at the app, you're like, how have I been on Instagram for three hours just yeah. responding to DMs? And it yes. And so we have to manage that. Yeah, it's funny. I share this with people sometimes and I'll always have to like kind of test the audience before I do, but it feels like a different lifetime again. But my husband and I used to work, we briefly worked in the emergency department together and we talk, we reference so much from those days that, you know, in the ER, there's no running there's no yelling. There's no, there's none of this like heightened response because it's already a really stressful environment. There's a lot going on and those kind of things don't contribute to it. And so one of the things that we would always say in our life outside of the ER, you know, we would be like, well, nobody's going to die. And so I realized that's a little dark and cynical, but that was, that's part of like, it's part of a joke that we like a common language that we have together of like, no one's going to die if you don't respond to that email. Or if you don't get back to people in your DMs for 24 hours, nobody's going to die. But I think like you said, we live in this world that is so quick and it's so instant that there's this heightened emotional response that maybe we get or that other people get if there's not this immediate response to an email or to a text message or whatever. And so sometimes that's our way. That's kind of a check-in that we have with each other because it's it's easy when you fall into seasons of, you know, he's been back in startup mode recently with a new business. And so it, it feels that way all the time of like, oh, I've got to get back to this rep or I've got to respond to this email or I have to do this one more thing. And it's like, actually, no, you don't. It's going to be okay. It can wait till tomorrow. And I'm guilty of falling into that kind of rhythm too in certain seasons that it's like, it actually can wait and it might cause them some distress because I'm not getting back, but that's on them and that's their work that they can do. And I'm not going to let it affect me. And I'm not going to encroach on my own boundaries in order to mitigate their feelings of anxiety or discomfort with how long it's taking to get a response. So yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with the boundaries that it's, yeah, I mean, it's, you have to have your boundaries in place and I think respect yourself enough to respect your own boundaries. I think we talk so much about 
how to set boundaries that other people will respect, but then sometimes we're the very ones that just obliterate our own boundaries that we've set. And so how do you cultivate that self-respect so that you don't push your own boundaries? And yeah, so I think boundaries are a huge piece of it. Yeah, definitely. And I think noticing the trigger in you when you text someone and they don't respond right away. Oh yeah. That because as you heal that wound and heal this instant gratification, quick fix solution type energy that we culturally have adopted and made it part of our day-to-day lives. As you heal the trigger on your side, it will be easier for you to set boundaries on the other side. So, and becoming very communicative and really Mm -hmm. allowing yourself to communicate with people in a way where if they ask you why, it's just your truth and you don't need an explanation for it. You don't need to share why you're not answering texts after (laughs) API. Yes. This is how I'm going to operate moving forward. And yeah. I would implement, I'm curious your thoughts on this, but what I've done is I've implemented kind of one new rule a month. And then over a year, it's really created this clear boundary in terms of my work team and when they can communicate with that. me. And you know, if my husband and I at work, we allow ourselves like check-in during the day where we'll like make sure to pop in. And if there's anything important, we'll respond then. And so we've created these boundaries and these systems, but to do it all at once is overwhelming. Yes. So I think I love integrating that. one or two things per month is a much better approach because otherwise it does feel overwhelming and you want to be able to manage your emotions through that transition without it feeling yes. overwhelmed. Yes. I love that. I think like anything, if you try to go to the extreme, yeah, maybe you can do it for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, but it's not sustainable over the long run. And so whether it's like, you know, and I even think about it kind of in the same light as recovery. It's like, you don't walk into a therapist office or your nutritionist or somebody one day and like come out and just completely 180 all of your behaviors that's not possible and it's if you can manage to do it for any amount of time it's not going to be sustainable and so i love that of adding in one new thing a month that becomes over time easier to sustain and it becomes part of your lifestyle so i love that yeah and i would just get curious to the listeners could you take a full day off yeah. Asking yourself, honestly, like, could I take just one day off social media? Could I take one day off my phone? What would it feel like to go into nature for a day and not have any connection? And I think just even that question alone will tell you a lot about yourself and your relationship yes. to social media. And I love doing a full day of silence. I love doing a full day in nature, a full reset day where I'm just completely disconnected. And and if you yeah. feel like that's challenging, you can let people know in advance, like, hey, tomorrow I'm off the grid and giving people again, that boundary to let them know, okay, well, I'm gone. I'm off the grid. And it's just so interesting to me too, because if you notice the, I was so worried about you and I was so stressed out and I didn't know where you were. And and so that energy can come quite often when you do that, which then again, is such a reflection of where we are in relationship to our phone. My dad, like you said, where they had the phone on the wall and my dad was just like, we didn't hear from people for weeks. Like you would have literally had a typewriter. (laughs) And I was like, how the times have yeah. changed. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's funny, but it's not. And it's like, oh, I mean, you yeah. know, it wasn't that long ago. It's really, I mean, that was it. And, you know, it's funny too. Like, I even think back to email, you know, growing up back in the dial up days, you literally checked email maybe once a day because it took forever. And so it's like, how our time has changed that if you haven't got an email response from someone in a few hours, you're, they're sending you another one or they're texting you or they're calling you and they're saying, Oh, did you get my email? And it's just like, it's a little bit insane, but 
I love that about even just a one day detox. I saw a friend this week, she posted on Instagram and she, it was something on her stories. And she's just said, we've implemented no cell phone Sundays. And she just kind of gave like a little checklist. And it means we don't scroll. We don't really, we don't text people. We have our phones on. If our family needs to call us, they know that we'll answer, but they were like, we just kind of don't really have our phones on us. We leave them on the island in the kitchen or if we're going out, we'll take them and we'll put them in the car. But she's like, we just don't, we're not on our cell phone anymore. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I, one day a week, I mean, that seems, I think a little extreme to a lot of people, but even just one day a week, how that could totally give you a mind reset and just really set the tone for the new week. And I was like, oh, I might start implementing no cell phone Sundays. I really love that. So yeah. And how beautiful it is to reconnect your mind and body. And so you can actually sense body sensations and you can feel things. I think the other problem we're seeing right now is people are using social media and it's disconnecting us from our own feelings. So while we're scrolling, we're just eating mindlessly. And then all of a sudden we've eaten so much more than we would normally when we sit down. And and then we're like, well, why don't I feel good? Why do I feel off? Or we're we're going to social media even in the car. And then we're like grabbing a meal, grabbing a salad in the car. And then we're like watching social media while we're eating in a car, yeah. not present with our food. And this is what yes. I across all the boards, even when we're in partnership and in communication. And so I think it's important just to get back to that resensitizing our bodies and getting a sense of what it actually feels like to be in our bodies. It's really funny. My husband, my husband has this away message up on his email and he's like, I have given up on email. (laughs) Text me if you need, and I will try to get back to you. He's just like, I can't keep up. Like, I can't keep up anymore. Oh my gosh. He's literally like, the last six months, he's like, I have given up on email. Like, text me if you need. (laughs) And then he just had an assistant check everything. And then the assistant goes through and really pulls what's important. And it's helped him really clear up a lot of that emotional stress of having to get back to people right away. So, you can do it if you want. It's just you have to get creative and just become empowered to really yeah. that stance. So. Yeah. Well, and I think like you said too earlier, I think social media, what is it masking or what is it covering up that you're not paying attention to that's underlying? And of course, social media is so easy to go to. It's instant. And the minute that you see that little red box pop up, I mean, it's a dopamine hit. And it's so much easier than going and spending 30 minutes at the gym, or it's so much easier than spending 30 minutes sitting down at the end of the day, connecting with your spouse, maybe in a season that's a little bit rocky and that's not, you know, that's not the easiest to connect. And it's like, what are those things that we are, that we're kind of suppressing and ignoring and pushing to the side and using social media as that quick fix to get that dopamine hit. But then, like you said, at the end of the day, it's like, we do it, but then we don't feel better. It's like when you're eating fast food in the car, scrolling at the end, you're like, well, I'm physically not hungry anymore, but I feel worse. Yeah, I just don't feel good. And so I think I love, you know, what you said about what's really underneath. And I think that's something that so many of us are asleep to. And it's hard to wake up to it. But then when you actually dig in and do the work, you find such a peace and you find a more groundedness to live with. And and then you almost look back and you're like, how did I live like that before? Kind of going back to initially what we talked about with recovery. It's like you look back on a different, you know, a different you in a different season and how you lived. And you're like, I will never go back to that. I remember how lonely and painful and disconnected that season was. And and that, and that's something that I hope I hope everyone can find in this social media saturated world is a way to live that it's a little less, it's a little less connected to the apps and more connected to themselves. And so that at the end of the day, they, 
that's not where their dopamine hits coming from. Their gratitude and their satisfaction and their deep peace and assurance is coming from the life outside of social media that they have created and that they've really been able to lean into. Something that's completely transformed my life, which you mentioned a little bit about the pop-up of the red the red blinker, oh, yeah. like you have a notification is I just turned off all yeah. notifications on my phone. Yes. So I don't see when someone texts me, I don't see when a Slack message comes through. I don't see when an email comes through. It's just, there's no notifications. And so when there's no yeah. notifications, it's like, well, when I go check my phone, I'm doing it all at once. And I'm dedicating 30 minutes to just getting back to everyone. And it's not this constant, look at my computer, look at my phone, look at my computer all day long. Or even yes. cook, look at my look at my phone, cook, look at my phone, or work out, look at my phone. It's like yes. just removing the notifications has completely changed my life. Because I'll, I'll turn oh, my yeah. phone and I'll have seven messages, seven text messages. I'm like, I can respond to everyone at once. <laughs> like, yes. Yes. I just spent yes. the last three hours responding and disrupting my day. So, yes. Really helpful. Yeah. So that's another little tip that might be supportive, but I'm sure people are definitely going to want that list that you have to offer. And so where can people find you? I'm really thankful for you being here in this conversation. I know it's going to serve a lot of people and I'm sure they're going to want to connect with you further. So what are the best places to do that? Yes, I am on Instagram at Meredith W. Boggs. And then my website is MeredithWBoggs.com. And I can send you over that link to the stopping the scroll tool that has some of those tips and also some of that deeper mindset work involved awesome. in it as well. Yeah, so, I'm sure people yeah. would love that. And people love lists. I found that it just is so helpful to just check off the things and just know exactly what to do and how. So thank you so much. And thank you for being yeah. here. I'm really excited to get this conversation out. Thanks for having me. This has been so great. Wow, I loved that conversation with Meredith and this topic of influence. And so we've all been influenced in both positive and negative ways by those we've come in contact with or simply those that we follow on social media. So how you're being influenced is one side of the equation, but just as important and the other side that we often forget is that we are also capable of tremendous influence. So whether you have a following of 100 people or a million people, What you share and the images that you put out into the world have an impact on those watching. And so it's important that we all become cognizant of this responsibility and the power that we have at our own fingertips. Most of us are constantly curating our lives to fit a certain image without deeply considering the influence over the kind of world that we are creating. And so I encourage you to consider how you influence those around you. What kind of values do you uphold and what? Do those around you who may not know you intimately believe about you and your life? Start to pay attention if you are curating a life that is worry-free and happy all the time and leaving out the complexities and the intricacies of real life behind the scene. Further, it is important to recognize how those people who are influencing you are impacting you internally. So studies are showing a massive correlation between social media use, and anxiety and depression in young adults. And I really don't believe this is a coincidence. More than ever, it is so important to be rooted in your own sense of self, especially as we see the numbers of likes growing on a specific Instagram account, the number of times a blog is circulating, or the number of purchases increasing on a new product, which makes it so easy to believe that what the majority is trying must work or what one person is saying must be true, even if that person or that belief is going against our deepest truths. And so I invite you to consider the way that you've been interacting with the world through social media. 
Who would you be without your audience? Who would you be without social media or if no one was watching? What would you eat? Would you listen to the same music? Would you read the same books? And so are the things that you're doing simply because someone told you that you should? And further, are you feeling overwhelmed by the pressures of social media or breaking the cycle to engage with it? And if you are, consider how you can cultivate a new level of self-awareness by disconnecting from social media and connecting back to you and your breath. And so you can cultivate this self-awareness even before getting on social media through recognizing first the emotion, the trigger, or the experience that influences your desire to engage in social media. And so I want to empower you through self-awareness and through connecting with your breath to become aware of what triggers, what emotions, what feelings, what stories, what experiences influence you to reach for your phone, your app, or one of your social media platforms. And this could be stress at work, maybe a feeling of disconnection with your partner, financial worry, or so many other things that encourage you to avoid what's showing up and move towards social media. But through stopping and allowing yourself to take 10 slow, deep breaths all the way in and all the way out, you can start to identify any habit around social media that isn't serving you and also recognize other ways to engage with social media that might be more empowering. And so something I noticed was that often I would check social media first thing in the morning right after opening my eyes, which set me up for a day of disconnection and comparison. But through becoming aware, I allowed myself to choose differently. And now moving forward, I don't allow myself to check my phone in the morning. And so through becoming aware, you can also choose differently in the future and notice what needs to shift to create a happier, healthier relationship with social media. And so I trust that this episode was empowering and you enjoyed it as much as I did. It was a conversation I believe that we all can benefit from. So before you go, I want to encourage you that if you're struggling to tune out other opinions and to honor your inner guidance, it might be important to be part of a community that supports you on this journey. And so if any of this resonates with you, I invite you to join the Awesome Inside Out Facebook group. It is a private, safe space filled with beautiful hearts coming together to encourage and uplift one another. And for anyone who is already part of that group, thank you so much for helping us build such a beautiful community together. If you enjoyed today's conversation with Meredith, I also encourage you to go listen to my podcast with Anna David as we discuss how sharing your story can be a gateway towards healing and changing your own life. Drop me a message on Instagram if you've been listening to these podcasts and let me know what's been resonating. Do you want to hear more of a specific topic or how can I support you in becoming happier and healthier? You can find me on Instagram at Sarah Ann Stewart. And until next time, I'm sending you so much love and I trust that you will have an epic, empowering week ahead. All right, that concludes this cast. It is my honor to always be here with you. But hang tight because I have one last thought. You're here right now because you are ready. Because while many of us share the feelings of wanting more, not everyone is willing to do what it takes to get it. But you are here. You are ready. So this is your opportunity now to take what you just learned and implement it today. Make a pact with yourself to put just one thing into action. Just one. 
write it down, do it and share it with me. We are all in this together. Thank you for being here. You too can feel awesome from the inside out.